uh, we're in the middle of a series called A Crisis of Context, and we've been talking about the importance of reading scripture in the context in which it was originally written. We've talked about how the Bible is the way God chooses to reveal himself to us. And so today what I want to do is spend a little bit of time talking about an honest God. And to do that, I need to start with a prayer. God, this one's on you. You're the one that told me this is what I should do this week, so this is what I'm going to do this week. Let people hear what you want them to hear, not what I want to tell them. So I want to make the case for an honest God. I want to make the case that God is both honest and consistent. And since that might sound like a no-brainer to some people, I also want to make the case that if you're not reading scripture in the context it was originally written, God can seem not exactly very honest, which is a little bit concerning. So for those of you who were here several years ago when I did a series on, on the, the historical contextualization, you might remember I skipped an entire section of the Bible when I jumped into that. I skipped the first 11 chapters of Genesis. So that's where we're going to go today. Uh, again, the Bible is how God chooses to reveal himself to us. But depending on how you read the scripture, especially if you're not reading it in context, God can seem a little sus, uh, a little suspicious. Sorry for the olds here. Um, I want to talk about reading the creation story in the context of a literal seven days. Now, this is not a new idea. I mean, at the time that Jesus was alive, there was this Jew living in Egypt named Philo. He wrote like six books about it. Uh, so it's definitely not a, a new idea. People have been talking about it for years. But I think it's an important idea. And I want to be clear, I'm not going to tell everyone that there's a right way and a wrong way to read scripture. That's, that's not my point, and that's not my place. You know, we can be Christians, we can be friends, even if we don't agree on something, and that is totally cool. I am also saying, though, that if you read scripture as the way God chooses to reveal himself to us, if you read scripture as God's self-revelation, there are some things to think about that help stuff make a lot more sense. So let's take a look at the biblical account of creation, Genesis 1 and 2. Um, the Bible pretty clearly lays out that, that creation is six days of work followed by a vacation. Uh, if you haven't read the passage in a while, uh, I'll, I'll do a quick summary here. Uh, the, first off, God creates the world and light out of chaos, and then he calls it a day. He makes the sky, calls it a day. Makes the land, the seas, feeds vegetarians, and calls it a day. He makes the sun, the moon, the stars, calls it a day. Makes the fish and birds, calls it a day. Makes the rest of the animals along with human beings, calls it a day, and then takes the next day off, likes it, and makes it holy. So there you go, seven days. Throw in the approximate ages of a bunch of old people, and yeah, the Earth's about 6,000-ish years old, right? That was easy, no controversy, right? Yeah, human beings are curious, aren't we? In more ways than one. But as we start to really look at the earth around us and the universe we live in, 
all of a sudden, science starts to make things a little awkward. From geology to physics to biology to cosmology, science says the Earth is billions of years old. And to be clear and upfront, I am firmly in the camp that science is probably right on this one. It's okay if you're not. That, again, that, there's no judgment here. That, that's not what we're here about. But the more we learn about our Earth and about the universe that, that we're in, the less comfortable a literal seven-day creation account becomes. To the point that a whole lot of people have spent a whole lot of energy trying to make sense of it. I mean, all you have to do is look at the sidebar for Wikipedia's entry on creationism. Actually, you know what? Let's not do that. That's a rabbit trail we don't want to go down. Uh, now, now, to be clear, if you're heavily invested in a piece of the word salad that jumbled across the screen there, uh, that's okay. I'm, I'm not going to criticize you. However, if you firmly believe that to be a Christian, you absolutely have to believe something to the point that you're going to quarrel with people about it, then, then, then I'm, I, I would want to caution you at that point. We might, we might want to have an exchange and, and talk about the meaning of grace and compassion and scriptures that say not to quarrel among believers directly, uh, right? Now, now I, 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 I will also say I've studied a lot of these different you know, arguments. You know, I, I've, I've looked into things like you know, the fact that the Hebrew word for day may not necessarily mean a 24-hour period. Or you know, questions like, how can you have evening and morning before the sun is even created? Or, or this concept of, of you know, Hebrew poetry, right? The creation story follows a Hebrew poem where the first three days are followed by the next three days. And, and in those subsequent days, God creates things to fill each of the places that he created. And it, it's that, that callback that, that really fits into a lot in ancient Hebrew poetry. But, but after having read all of these things, I keep coming back to this one point. And that point is that the Bible is God's self-revelation, right? It's how God chooses to reveal his characteristics. It's how he introduces himself to us. And when you read through those characteristics and you read through those stories, it is almost never about when, what, how. It's almost always about who and why. And that's where I want to start today, right? When we approach scripture with humility, we have to focus on what God is saying to us, not what we want to hear. So again, I'm, I'm making a case for an honest God, right? And I think that implies a few things. First off, I think it implies that God isn't trying to hide from us. Uh, and I know there are some people that think that. I don't think that's compatible with how I, I've read the Bible. It just doesn't seem like that's there. It also implies that God's character is consistent because if it wasn't, that would be an indication he was trying to hide from us. This is how God reveals himself to us. I think the most important thing that's implied is that I don't have the answers, at least not all of them. I have some answers. They may even be right. I may think they're right. I may know they're right. Maybe they're wrong. But that's the humility that you have to approach Scripture with. When you're reading Scripture as the way God reveals himself to us, 
That's what you have to have, is that humility. And after reading through scripture, a lot of things seem to point to this idea that, you know what, God likes us. God wants to hang out with us. And in fact, you look through the creation story and you see that God creates everything and then turns around and gives it to humans. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to walk with you in the cool of the evening, right? This is God's ideal. His relationship with people is one where he just hangs out. But then things go sideways, right? You read through the rest of the Genesis account and humans figure out how to be evil. And the more you read, the more evil they become and sort of the worse everything gets. And, and it's, it's clear that God is not okay with evil, but it's also clear that God wants that relationship with humanity. And there's that struggle and there's that context, right? That's the background on which the covenant with Abraham ends up getting dropped. Now, I know some people would, would say that, you know, if God is an honest God, why would he write directly in scripture that earth was created in seven days? Or, or to put it another way, why would scripture say that when all of God's creation very loudly implies that that isn't the case? And I think that's where we have to remember. We have to go back to the context and that question of intent, right? We're talking about reading the Bible in context. And, and, and so we need to ask the question, what would the original recipient of that scripture think? Because that's really what we need to boil that down to. And I don't know that we can know for sure, but I do know that those people were living in a world of myths. And I know some people, that's a, that's a trigger word, so, so just bear with me for a minute here. In this context, what I mean by that is a myth is a generally accepted tradition that explains how things like the world, social norms, people, and gods come to be. Now again, I'm not saying you have to believe something is a myth. I'm not saying you have to believe something is not a myth. But remember that the cultures surrounding the Israelites, every single one of them had these kinds of myths. That's the cultural context into which God comes in and gives his self-revelation to the Israelites, right? I think of it less as the creation story and more as the creator's story. Uh, if you're the kind of person who likes legal contracts, and I mean, who doesn't? Um, you know, you, you can kind of think of it as if the first five books of the Bible are the contract God makes with the Israelites, right? It's the covenant that God makes with his people. We have to define some terms. You have to define who is God. You have to define who is his people, right? We're seeing a lot of that as we read through the scripture, especially in those first five books. So, you know, I, if you take all of the interactions that God has with Abraham, it's full of these acknowledgments of the cultural norms around you, and then sort of turning them on its head, right? Look at the story uh, of, uh, of Isaac, right? Abraham's son. Isaac was born when Abraham was how old? Anyone? A hundred years old. And, and his wife was 90 years old, right? Just like the account of Jesus being born to a virgin, what we're looking at here is God very firmly stating, this is my family, right? 
God is creating his people. That's what the covenant is all about there, right? And, and you, you look forward in, in time, and, and God tells Abraham, okay, now you need to sacrifice your son Isaac as a burnt offering to the Lord. Well, what is the cultural context at this time? Was human sacrifice, even child sacrifice, totally unheard of? Not really, you know, to a lot of these people. And then you get right down to it and God says, okay, hang on. I introduced you to the cultural norm. Now I'm gonna flip it on its head. That's not what I'm on about. That's not what I want. And he gives these alternative, uh, you know, ways of, of dealing with this, right? Uh, in the story of Jacob and Esau, we see God's willingness to completely turn on its head th this concept that, oh, the firstborn obviously gets the birthright, right? That, that sort of all gets pushed away. You look at the story of Joseph. Somebody who was a slave in prison becomes the second most powerful person in the most powerful empire in the world. And God just flips all of these social norms on its head, right? So let's look at that covenant contract that comes back throughout scripture over and over and over again, right? With Abraham, it's a far future. Your descendants will be, you know, so numerous. God even tells the family at one point, now just be aware that your offspring are gonna spend hundreds of years as slaves, but I will come back, right, right? You, you will come, you know, I will come alongside you and, and you will be my people, right? And then the Israelites, in the Sinai Desert, they're, they're poised to go into Canaan. And what happens? God renews that covenant, but now it's not with Abraham, it's with the nation, and it becomes a near future contract. I am going to go with you into this area that you will occupy. Then we read through the prophets, right? And in the prophets, we're introduced to this concept that there's gonna be a new covenant, and it's gonna be interesting. It's not going to be God is 400 years in the future. It's not going to be God is a few decades in the future. It is literally going to be Jesus. God is with us. The fulfillment of God's ideal, right? God likes us. God wants to hang out with us. We have that opportunity through Jesus. So as we're reading through the scripture in context, right? And we're trying to say, what were the original recipients hearing? How does that look? What does that mean to us? Everything points to Jesus and that relationship that God wants to have with each of us. So, so my challenge to all of us for this week is to read the Bible in the context of an honest God. If something doesn't make sense, it's probably not because God is trying to be sneaky, right? If God is honest, there must be something else going on there. So that's my, my hope for us here. You know, God's not trying to trick us, and, and, and he's right there willing to reveal himself to us if we are willing to do the work necessary to hear what he has to say to us rather than just what we want to hear. So let me pray for us here. Uh, God, again, this one's on you. Hopefully somebody heard what it was you wanted to say today um, and that this one wasn't just really about me. You know, thank you for being an honest God. 
Thank you for not trying to trick us. Thank you for being consistent throughout Scripture. This coming week, we have a pastoral interview that we're going to be looking at. God, I pray whether it's, it's this candidate or some other candidate that you would be preparing them for what they're going to be doing in this church and that you would be preparing us to come alongside and serve along with whoever that happens to be. I pray that you would give this church a revitalized spirit and a fresh energy. I pray that you would help us to hear what you were trying to tell us.